And welcome back to another episode of Going Through the Motions with me, Callum. And me, Alex. How's it going? The podcast equivalent of a limp handshake meeting another limp handshake and wobbling in the air. Mm. Isn't that the worst? Isn't that just the worst? I don't know. I'm a, I'm a bit of a fan of a limp handshake. Oh, that's that no, I'm only just. Joking. Did I'm you only get joking. that enforced to you when okay. you were younger about a really have a firm handshake, have a firm handshake? Oh yeah. Isn't that a weird thing to have enforced to kids? Isn't it when you start shaking hands? Yeah, but then when you're an adult and somebody gives you a limp handshake, you immediately you want do to you never do see yeah. that person ever again. And <laughs> and I and I shake a lot of people's hands that are very you know they're very grip firm handshakes, and you do you do go oh goodness like that's a really dominating quite <laughs> a thing isn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little tickle in the. Do you, uh, do you ever get into like handshake contests where like you linger for a bit and you just you know you'd be like no no yeah. no no hold on to I'm, each other. I'm the one with a firm handshake. <laughs> I'm no. You've got to double down on those situations. <laughs> you do. Going for a kiss. Who's the, who's the that big, really gets yeah. them. Yeah, like, come on then. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do this. Cut to the Go next on. scene. Who's the big man? You're fucking on the floor and you've still got your hand shaking. <laughs> yeah. I'm the big man. Say it. <laughs> Say it! It's good to meet you! It's fucking good to meet you! <laughs> it's good to meet you, but I'm Alpha here. What that understood with this handshake. Just gonna leave that. Okay. We are a music and movie podcast. We get into the famous films and the scores that accompany them. And not just scores, soundtracks and the like. I feel like I lean on quite a lot more soundtracks and yeah, scores. Yeah, I feel like, I feel I, like I'm you identify find... I feel like you identify more with like the playlist type soundtracks. Yeah, like um, the su- you're never going to forgive me for Suicide Squad, are you? For bringing oh, that one to the God. table. It's not one that features in my library, I'll tell you that for free. I'll be there in the best bits, I'm sure. <laughs> but before we get on to that, our famous... Drum roll, please. Uh, segment is shit what we have seen once once where we were on the tube that one time and what we once thought of it and such. Alex, anything to say to that one there? Anything um, else to add to the title? Someone can make some artwork for that oh, segment that would be with, fun. That, with that whole title and the, in and it. The, wait, we're once what we thought we were once, but now we are unsure. Yeah, Alex, have anything to be? Oh no, I've got something. I yeah, said on. I had a, a top. God, I, I think this is just my segment, isn't it? Because yours is on the buses. <laughs> Alex, on <laughs> the buses. I, I, yeah, I'm on the buses. But also, I was racking my brain as to what I've seen in here, and I, I'm convinced I just switch off there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm convinced I literally just like I don't, I don't shut my eyes or something, but like you know, I go down there and I just switch off to the world. I got on a bus recently the other day. Did just you? Coming. I know, I know. Oh I was awfully scared. I felt like a right fraud. <laughs> I shouted, "Thank you!" down the bus when I got off, and everyone was like, "Leave." 
yeah. if we don't thank on these buses here. No. Do they not? Do they not thank? No, they do. They do? Okay, that's yeah. nice. I remember the, hearing a head, uh, it was an article, I think, in, there was a bit of uproar in Glasgow when they changed the single door entry system at the front and back to the yeah. middle door exit, the front door entry. Yeah. And there was uproar because how possibly can we thank the driver for the end of our journey? Wait, they were worrying about that in Glasgow. Yeah, that was that was the concern. <laughs> Seriously, that was yeah. it. It was areas of there. No, no, it's nice, but you can get a friendly uh, bus driver. It's quite nice. Hmm. Like, you know, you see a bus that's at a stop that you want to get on mm-hmm. and you're not at the stop. Mm. So you're running frantically for the stop mm. and you're waving. You go, don't leave yeah, yet. Don't leave. <laughs> don't leave yet. And like sometimes... But fortunately, they'll... you have a very masculine run. Oh, no, wait, you don't. Oh, yeah. no, oh, wait, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> I, I have a prance. <laughs> it's me with my violin on my back, just like skipping across the your, road. your pigtails getting... <laughs> It's flowing in the breeze. Uh, you, no, I, I was, no, I was going to say, like, it's just, it's nice when they do stop for you and you can go on, you're out of breath and you go, oh, cheers, mate. And he goes, no problem. No problem. And yeah. you think, oh, that was a nice piece of human yeah. interaction. Yeah. Or they drive off and leave you and you can give them the finger. With the finger. Everyone's doing, fuck! You fuck just, it! Just, and then you're the odd one in the street just swearing at the back of a bus. Yeah, but... Then, like you look, quite, you look, you look ten meters along the road, and there's one. someone else doing it. So, another one. You know. So, I have a question that I'm bringing to the shit what we see on the tube segment of this show, and yeah. it's an open question: When is it, and when is it not appropriate to stand up and offer someone your seat? Um, well, when it's appropriate, I'd say that it's well sign signposted on the tube. Yes. Um, elderly people, elderly, yeah, uh, pregnant, pregnant, pregnant tick. ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you know someone's got a crutch or like, yeah, you know, okay, they, so maybe they, if they they're injured of some sort, some sort of yeah. injury stuff. Yeah, I think they're, I'd say the, they were they're the, the big three. three. They're the, the big three, the, the top big, three, the top three <laughs> coming in at number one. Yeah, <laughs> it's the elderly, <laughs> but the. Uh, so I was thinking this the other day. So I was always of the opinion. Maybe this is me. Maybe this is me as a dick. If I see, if I'm sat down, yeah. I'll get up for a woman. Is that weird? That's quite outdated, surely, isn't it? It's not weird. But I, but so here, so so where does the line go? So obviously, so so that's old fashioned chivalry, that's, so it right is. there. It is, and I don't know. I think it's I, I have a friend from back home who used to always. I think we were down in London once, and he kind of said this. He was a very sort of chivalrous chap. Yeah, and he put this in my head as I was a sort of a young younger guy and I kind of it's stuck in my head almost but I found that it kind of has a negative effect so if you've got this middle-aged woman who's I guess she's had a hard day at the office and she's she's kind of a bit ruffled she gets on the tube and stuff in her business suit and then you stand up for her yeah she's instantly offended because she thinks do I look old do I look like I need a seat and then you're kind of in that when you stand up you offer and they go no 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 it's fine it's fine and you and you think I didn't do it because I thought you were old. I just wanted you to yeah. have a seat. Yeah, it's a bit, that's a bit of a minefield. <laughs> but you, you can't get that out, well, can the thing you? Is, I mean, I was, you know, taught taught those things, you know, growing up as well. Like, you know, holding the door open for someone. Um, <laughs> I was taught slam it in their face. Yeah. Oh, were you? <laughs> that's why you're like such a, a dick. Sal- <laughs> on door. Yeah. That's why my face holding is the- all... Bloodied and bruised. Every time we walk somewhere through somewhere together, he slams a door in my face and he waits until my head's right in the door frame for ultimate impact. The problems come when it's a glass door and it shatters and I'm cut to shreds. Oh, he's got yeah, or his face is pressed up against it like a boob. In yeah, a, in, in, a, in a shower window. A boob in a shower I don't window. Know what that was? 
refreshed your nipple up against the shower glass. I, w- I want to reassure everyone that we're recording this at 11am and we are not drunk. No, we're not. We are, And we've, we've just had a lovely brunch and just sat yeah, and listened. Yeah. We just sat and watched Alex's film on his iPhone as we were eating yeah. our brunch. Uh, Very civilised. But but on the, just to top it off, here's another point to it. So if we're going to the whole stand-up when someone maybe a little bit older than you get saw, maybe it's a seniority sort of thing. Yeah. Surely, if there's a five-year-old kid, he could get the fuck out of that seat. I need that seat more than him. Surely. No. No, but that's the no. rules. No, 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 no. That's a simplification of the rules. You're also... Where's in your, the, where's you're, the you're rules? In your you're in your 20s and you're prime. You don't need a seat. No, but he doesn't need a seat. He's five. He's filled with childhood wonder and dreams and, and sugar. Yeah, and if he's not in a seat, then he's getting in everyone's way and he'll uh. probably be trampled. Dude, oh, that, this, where does it stop? So what if I see... Some, what if a teenager... Because I'm not a teenager anymore. If a teenager, do I? I don't offer a seat to a teenager. No, why or would I you don't do make, that? De- exactly. But I would expect them to offer it to me. Would you? <laughs> I don't know. Where's, it's pretty entitled, where's the light? Mate. Where's the? Where's the light? There's got to be rules here. It's not, there's got to be rules. I think. I think, I think we do it on a ticketing system. When you get on, I'm only going to be these stops, but I'm going to be longer. Therefore, you require more. Right. Yeah. Some sort okay. of. If we can get that in place, TFL. Okay. Because this is a minefield. It is a bit of a minefield. It is a bit <laughs> of a minefield. I, I just kind of sit there. I don't give. I don't give my seat up for anyone. Do you just throw yourself into the tube and just lie directly down, planking the floor still? No. <laughs> I tend. I tend to anger a lot of people on the tube, like especially in Russia, sit on, because sit like, on their lap. Because the done thing is when you're packed in there like sardines, uh-huh. you take your bag off, don't mm-hmm, you? Mm-hmm. And you and you carry it or you put it on the floor because it takes up less yes, space yes. at your legs than yes. it does on your back. Now, more often than not, when I'm on the tube, I carry a rucksack and a violin. That's a weird flex. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, keep going. We're so flex. Fle- a weird flex. Right. Never heard that phrase. No. <laughs> anyway, so you've yeah, carried these both. I carry, I carry, I carry them both, and and I take my my backpack off and I keep it down. Yes. There. Yes. But I keep my violin on my back. But people don't see that I've already taken something off, and they come in and they're like. Take it off, take it off. Just as I'm people like, no. told you yeah, to take it off. Yeah, people take it off. And I'm like, nah, fuck off. No, but people say to you, take yeah, that off. Yeah, some people have said, take it off. Do you show them the bag between your legs and go, I've only enough room for one thing between my legs, and no. then wink and smile, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> and then look at them in that sort of, and they go, just, just Not as so good as a wink to a blind bat. <laughs> <laughs> what would you expect me to do with this between my legs? And then you've got this violin case. Yes. Oh, I put this between your legs, man. It, kind of, it is kind of suggestibly shaped, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit of a, it's a phallical thing. That's, in fact, that's what you should do huge. next time. I think you should put that between your legs. What are you insinuating, my man? What is this on my back? <laughs> I don't think that kind of patter would go down well on the tube, man. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Okay. I think we're done with this. I think segment. we're done with this. I think we're done because I was going to digress and say what what sort of things would you be offended if someone says put that between your legs? I think most <laughs> things is the answer to that. There, Karen I've done it. Still... You managed to do it. Okay. Shall we get on to some? Yeah, let's see. turn going first no it's so. your turn going first because i did suicide squad going first last time oh, was that the last one yeah because we did the james bond special <laughs> thank god someone's keeping a track of this shit. 
Yes, I think we've done up top with the Music and Movies podcast. We've yeah. done that. Tick, that's in the box. That's safe. You're going home with that. Okay, yeah. you've got that. But do you want to gamble and do you want to go for Alex's Alex's movie? Right. <laughs> go gonna, for it. We're going to go for my movie. And a few week, few weeks ago, I asked you what's the what's the greatest movie, like objectively of all time, mm-hmm. and I made the argument that it was Once Upon a Time in the West. Okay. So now I'd like to pose you the question of what's objectively the greatest soundtrack, the greatest score of mm. all time. Let's discount soundtracks for your yeah. playlist type thing. I'm talking about original scoring. So so objectively, we, the object, greatest. objectively. So we've, I mean, I, this is a slight loaded question because I know the film you're doing and I know the film you're yeah. taking, but I did think about this and... Way to give the listeners a peek behind the curtain there. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I, uh, I, I did think about this and there is really one film that just finds its way to the top every time for me and that's Fellowship. The Fe- yeah. Fellowship of the Ring, I think, is the best... So, uh, sorry, score to yeah. a film. I, yeah. I, I think it is. I think it's a very, even for the first part of a trilogy, it has a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's really, uh, it's quite a rare achievement. And it, it, I could, I could be up first thing in the morning. I remember listening to the breaking of the fellowship during a really tough oh. time. Uh, I was going through like my exams and I was really stressed and it was I just I was you know when you're just you're working so hard you're not getting somewhere that that, that piece of, it, it makes it it shivers you and see when you're weak when you're when you're an emotionally or mentally weak state and yeah. that plays my goodness like it but do you it not want to indulge something. in that feeling sometimes do oh I do I do I, I do I love indulging in those feelings I do sometimes. as an adult and this is this is I guess a, a greater thing crying is it's started to come back into things isn't it. I, when you were a kid, when you were a teenager, never cried, left for me. Cried, well, you always <laughs> cried. I never really cried much, but now, fuck me, I, I start crying more and more. Weird shit I see and do. And do you find it like quite cathartic and like emotionally healthy? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It, it, it's it's an it's it's a odd experience that is sort of slowly coming back. Does it does it get worse from here in? Am I only going to get more? Emotional as I get older. Am I just going to nah. spend my 40s in tears? I don't know. <laughs> Someone's holding the door open. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to want to come and hang out with you if that's the case, mate. I'm going to be, going to be bum me out all the time. Exactly. <laughs> you want to come over and do the podcast? Yeah. Look at my, they're but going it's... through the motions with me, Calvin. And it's all... <laughs> <laughs> but since, you're, since we're talking about crying, yes. I reckon... Uh, the movie I'm going to talk about is also the answer to the question, what's the movie that makes the most people cry the most? Yeah. And that is E.T. the Extraterrestrial nice. by Steven Spielberg. Is that the full title of the film? E.T. the Extraterrestrial? Yeah, it's it just yeah. E.T. Okay. Yeah, it's E.T. the Extraterrestrial. See, E.T. and Extraterrestrial... It's the same, the same thing twice. It's the same thing, isn't it? Is, it? It's the same thing. J.P. the Jurassic Park. thing is, though, if you think about when this movie came out, do you think we would have known what the syllables E.T. would have stood for without that movie. Mm. Well, why didn't you just call it the extraterrestrial then? Oh, because E.T.'s punchy. Oh, okay, cool, okay. Nice. <laughs> you can put it on the posters. <laughs> it, it does seem like there was a compromise, wasn't there? Yeah. Do you think Spielberg and someone else were kind of like, well, I think it's E.T. and it, well, it's actually terrestrial, extraterrestrial. Why don't we compromise? And then a firm, let's, both. let's have a firm handshake to seal the deal on this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so E.T. is you know, undeniably quoted as, like, one of Spielberg's greatest movies, greatest accomplishments alongside things like Jaws mm-hmm. and Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and Indiana Jones. God damn. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. 
but obviously the spiel the spielberg equivalent of film scoring Mm-hmm. Is the master himself, John Williams? Mm. Now I've I've gone I've gone on John Williams rants before, mm-hmm. and I and there will be plenty of them again. But E.T. for me is, I think, his technically greatest score. Okay, I think Star Wars is like a better volume of work, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is like more recognizable. But if you think about like. The flying theme. Like, mm. most people could sing, like, the flying theme from E.T., right? so It's so iconic. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the scoring is so descriptive in the actual movie outside of the flying theme. You know, most people just dismiss it. Mm. And the movie starts with, like, this really eerie, like, op- opening. And it's when E.T. gets left behind by his by his people mm-hmm. and it's quite it's quite scary and it's very very bleak everything looks very very dark and the scoring is just very very murmury mm-hmm. there's not a huge amount of clarity going on mm-hmm. and that's because us as the audience members have no idea what's going on we've yet to be introduced to a human character yet mm. you know the movie is about a boy's friendship with an extraterrestrial but we don't get to meet any humans until you know well, a good ten minutes. A good ten in, minutes. Yeah. A good ten minutes yeah. in, into the into the movie. Mm. So, like, you know, what what are your thoughts on this movie? Et or as as a movie or as the as the introduction or as a, as a score. I don't know. Like, um, okay, what, what are general general <clears throat> thoughts? Let, on okay, the movie? well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll answer your question with those three points. So, as a movie, look, th- this film is constantly topping the list as the greatest family movie of all time. Yeah, I we ch- chat a little bit about this while we were, we were having breakfast, having our lovely sausages for this. Yeah, that was a very good sausage. Thanks for those, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank no, you. Quite and right. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, ha- I come to the conclusion that I think the only reason it gets that top of the list is because of John Williams. Yeah. And I think if John Williams was not attached to this film, it would be a very weird and different experience. And I think it wouldn't be quite as quite as magical because when you watch this whole film it is unsettling it is scary you know i came to that conclusion you you think that even maddie yeah. you know maddie well, um, i think i reckon most was, people would maddie was saying that it, it's not a, it's not a particularly comfortable movie to watch i don't think it's incredibly family... it's incredibly stressful to watch i've never watched et one without breaking down into a ball of tears by Jesus. the end. Honestly, <laughs> it's traumatic. It is quite, yeah. And oh, and people you watch it with, you don't you don't come out of it going, that was nice. That was yeah. a, that, that, that that was fun. <laughs> but, but I would but I point so we also talked a little bit about other scorings and stuff and I and I sort of I what I would say to the ET score in as a whole listening to it, it it's very it, it's quite difficult to listen to as a score outside of the movie. The two of them really go well together. It's yeah. it's a properly good, you know, wine and meat pairing almost. If yeah. You had to, to equivalent it, and on its own, it's it's a little bit uh, without direction. I think it, it's a little bit. I, I I personally, I sat and listened to the whole score actually last night. I, mean, I don't rarely, I don't do that often. No, but, but yeah. I know, but I know that we wanted to talk about this uh, in a little bit more 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 detail, obviously, on the podcast. And I did sit and listen to it, and I and I did kind of. It didn't leave me with amazement, but when I watched the sequence at the end, that in sequence, and I guess we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get, get to that, yeah. But the, it tied it all together really nicely. Yeah. 
The other thing I said was, obviously, we were chatting about John Williams and the different decades of John Williams. And I think that there's a really, pers- personally, from, and I'm, I would definitely consider myself a layman, someone who's not uh, as well-versed as the work of John, John Williams and other, you know, very famous composers of this. I'm sort of coming in, hopefully coming in with the sort of the common man's angle to this podcast, <laughs> as it were. But I see a very big overlap or almost your Venn diagram between the score of E.T., the score of Superman and the score of Hook. Yeah. And I finish with Hook because I think that Hook should be the best family film of all time. Right. I think that one subjectively just as a film yeah. is more family orientated. It's very, very interesting because Hook, Hook came out in the early 90s, right? Mm. Maybe even 91. Mm-hmm. Or so, yeah, I actually, before, I yeah. before, before we were born. But, but basically, it was around and established while we were like growing up and stuff. But Steven Spielberg has said on several occasions that it is, mm-hmm. it is his worst movie. Really? Yeah, he, he had, does not like it. Spielberg does not like it. And that really breaks my heart because I love Hook so much. It, but yeah, but I mean, I, I guess with all of his amazing movies... When did he make that statement? Do you know? Was that a recent I uh, No, he said that. He's gone on record for that several times. Oh, various, has he really? Various interviews and stuff. Okay, because like I was going to say, at the time that he probably made that statement, it's there's got to be a worst of a great bunch. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think, <laughs> to, to really hammer that point home, I think he said that even after he made Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, okay. So that's... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. sorry, Stephen. Yeah. We're all globally going to have to disagree with you on that exactly. one. But... I think E.T. was one of his earliest successes. And actually, I think E.T. probably defined the genre of like family family movies as well. I think well, you're right. Which I think is you're what, right. You know, yeah. If you think about all the, like, the tropes that you get in like family adventure movies, I think a lot of them could be traced back to E.T. Yeah. It's definitely, it's def- regardless of how you, what, what you think of it, it's definitely like a pillar in Hollywood. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. But, but back to the music, like you said that you felt like you couldn't listen to the score just like on its own without the pairing of the movie. And I think that, and I think that's very, very true because he uses various instruments to portray various ideas. Like when E.T. is playing in Elliot's room with his toys and stuff like that, it's very, very, it's very, very thin scoring. But what is very, very prominent is a harp. With lots of like glissando and like you know, mm, think mm. Um, think Fluffy's harp in Harry Potter. Okay, think that yes, kind of sense. Yes, yes. And to me, what I think that invokes is like this like sense of wonder, and like E.T. as a character is is experiencing, he he's experiencing Earth. He's on a scientific mission, as it were, and and he goes into this room of like toys, and he's thinking what is all of this and it kind of reminds me of you know when you're a kid and you've got your action figures and you've got your toys and stuff and you imagine these scenarios and different adventures and you play with you play with them and you use your imagination to play with them and i think john williams use of the harp really invokes that because it is quite a wonderful instrument it makes the the mind wonder the harp actually yeah let's take a step back from that and give a a big bow to the instrument that is the or the or the clarsac yeah. or the harp because or the naked upright piano the as naked, some like to call it <laughs> because <laughs> there is something it is quite a magical instrument isn't it, it? Is, and yeah it, and 
<laughs> you can kind of say that obviously John Williams worked out a long time ago and now he's just cheating because he knows that it's a great instrument and it gets us every time. That's called experience. That is experience. That's called experience. Exactly, exactly. You got a job to do. But if he's that good, he would be able to do it with a French horn. <laughs> <laughs> he could do it with a kazoo. I wonder if he, he did do it with a kazoo. He did do it. There are kazoos in Star Wars. I wonder Episode he, one. I wouldn't be crying to a kazoo orchestra. Oh my days. <laughs> Or a penny whistle. Yeah, we did that one last week. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I, there's other elements of this film though that I think are, I guess you're going to talk about all the warm, fuzzy feelings of this movie, and I'm going to probably <laughs> bring it down to the kind of reasons why. I, I, I don't not like this movie. No. But I didn't grow up with it. Yeah. And I, whenever I've come back to it, it's. As I said before, it unsettles me. It is a bit weird because it's yeah. a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and and the the whole the whole thing of the glowing heart and the the spaceman coming to get him, and obviously I'm sure you'll get to that point yeah. as well. But it's it's kind of like I don't know. It's diff- it's di- it's difficult. It's it's different. Like I said, I keep going back to the, my my most my easy comparison. To this is Hook. That one out of the two of them I did grow up with. Yeah. And that one just. Even at its most unsettling scenes or sequences, it's nowhere near as traumatizing as some of the things that E.T. brings no. to the table. God, Do you know no. what I mean? No, it's not. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of very heavy experiences that the two characters of Elliot and E.T. go through, not least of which uh, E.T. dying. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, God, you know, yeah. And they, 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 they form this kind of connection this really like physical connection where Elliot feels E.T. and the other way around mm. to the extent that when E.T. is dying, Elliot is also like close to death. Mm. Like it's really, it is, it's sad and it's tragic and, uh, and as you said, unsettling. E.T. catches flu. They both get drunk at card oh, game. Yeah, at, at the yeah. older brother's card game or whatever, yes. Elliot gets Elliot gets drunk and then E.T. feels the side effects and that really does not go well. Yeah. He's foaming so, in the street. Exactly. <laughs> Shouting at traffic. <laughs> yeah. But because that connection Fighting with everyone. <laughs> yeah. But because that connection is like at the heart of the movie, it really makes the watcher feel that as well. Mm. So <laughs> drunk. I don't <laughs> Yeah, I'm sat there pissed. <laughs> is, I mean, we've all been drunk. I'm going to turn the movie off in a second Empathy. if EC doesn't sober up while I'm driving. Give me the keys. <laughs> Give me the keys. I'm going to fly the bike home. <laughs> that would have been a better sequence. Do the magical bike flies. I can't, I can't find the headlights now, but don't worry, my finger glows. Exactly. <laughs> Wait till you see what I can do with my finger. <laughs> Away. Got a You're magic drunk. trick. You want to see a magic trick? <laughs> it, yeah, I, it, the the connection between the two of them is is uh, it is quite special actually. And we also watched the sequence where he you find he's not dead. Yeah, and he kind of I forget the child actor's name who who plays I don't know uh, plays Elliot and he kind of runs his hands through and he goes oh my goodness and it's and it's kind of like an overacting. 
But yeah. the bit of music brings it back down. Do you know if, if if you just I think when they must have watched that and they must have went, Oh, he's really going for it, this kid. Do you know what I mean? Really overacting that yeah, sequence yeah. of just happiness. Yeah, but it's great. But it is great because the music does really it does a really good job of grounding it and and and, and it kind of in, enforces that idea of, no, this is a really big deal for this kid. Like yeah. this is a really big deal for him. So like I say, for for a lot of the a lot of the reasons the if you were to watch this movie, I guess like without a score at all, or maybe something scored a bit differently, it yeah. would just it would just be a bit weird. It'd be compl- it'd be completely different. And I can't say that for Indiana Jones. I can't really say that for a large pr- proportion of Star Wars. Oh well, no, no, no. Hang on, no, hang on there. But because I think this one... what what you're imagining now is a world where Indiana Jones and Star Wars exist without. John their Williams. corresponding John Williams yeah. themes. I don't think I think any of us want to live in that world. Mate. I know we, do, <laughs> we, I know we don't want to, but I think Indiana Jones would 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 still hold up. I think Hook okay, would still. Hold I think up. I think Indiana Jones would still hold up because it's a very easy concept to swallow. Like yeah. you know, archaeological. Yeah, yeah. Per, archaeol. Oh, what's that word? Archaeology. Archaeology. Ar- archaeology. Yeah. Um, professor, mm-hmm. adventurer mm-hmm. in the forties. Mm-hmm. Like that's cool. Punching Nazis. Punching Nazis, yeah. Saving statues. Kissing ladies. Yes. <laughs> Whipping whips. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Ignoring angels of deaths. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. All that all that fun stuff. But I think like in the case of Star Wars, it's Star Wars is really weird. Mm. Like when you think about it, like, you know, space wizards and mm. Mm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a bit strange. I yes. feel like you need John Williams to sell Star Wars. And you know, what you were saying about you you not thinking that E.T. as a movie is necessarily as good as the score that it got. George Lucas always said that about Star Wars. George Lucas always said about John Williams that he is the special sauce yes. of, of Star Wars. And Star Wars would not be Star Wars. But, but I challenge that then because what, what you're saying is that John Williams needed to bring Star Wars because of the space wizards and the concept and the high the high fantasy concepts of yeah. that to kind of make it a little bit more um, suitable for the layman. But absolutely, you, and you said, and on that note, I will fight anyone that says that Star Wars is science fiction. It's not science fiction. <laughs> Get away with that stuff. It's fact. It <laughs> happened. No, <laughs> there was lightsabers at no, one point. You said it. It's fantasy. It's, fantasy. it's closer to Harry Potter than it is to Star Trek. But, but to that point, then you're making God. This is a this is a point on a point on a point. Jesus. But to the point that you're making, right? Indiana Jones is pretty easy to to comprehend. Therefore, yeah. the music doesn't really. But it would have been fine without it. Yeah, yeah. I think the story of ET. If you think of the story, it's a pretty beginning, middle, and end story. Yeah, it's not a it's not a hugely convoluted story. But I think the way that some of the storytelling aspects of that movie, it kind of makes me feel a little uncomfortable and a bit weird. There's something about ET, the mo- just the physical movie itself. Yeah, that just makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. But John Williams just eases it. Yeah, I mean it's quite. It's because you get a lot of different points of view to what the movie's actually about in that an alien comes to visit a world that hasn't had mm. extraterrestrial contact before. And you get two very different reactions to that event. Mm-hmm. You've got Elliot the kid and the kids who befriend the alien and try and help him get home and have a very you know childlike reaction to that and then you also get the nasa scientists who because this movie is kind of depicted from a child's point of view are seen as like evil Mm. scientist overlords and stuff they want want to take et and put him in a tank Mm -hmm. and study him Mm -hmm. and 
Elliot goes on these hi- hyperbolic rants about how you know they want to kill him, they want to dissect him, and stuff like that. And there's actually a very touching moment in the movie where the lead scientist, towards the end of the movie, explains, "I was you twenty years ago. Like I am in awe of this stuff. I want to experience the stars and stuff just as you do. And I don't want to kill him. I don't want to. I don't want to hurt him. I just want to learn. Mm-hmm. So actually." It's not a case of kids good, scientists bad. The, the waters are very much muddied in, mm-hmm. in that area. But the initial the initial reaction to the scientists is that of like, they're the bad guys and they're evil and they're going to try and take my best friend away. And when they enter Elliot's home, that is one of the most terrifying scenes in the whole movie because one of them comes in in this big hazmat suit and you can't see his face. If anything, that's more of an alien mm. to Elliot mm. than E.T. is. Mm. And that's a very deliberate filmmaking perspective. Oh, the way, agree, yeah. The way, that, the way he comes through the door with the light shining behind him, that is the real alien, even though it's a human on Earth. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And John Williams actually scores this bit really, really well because when when this guy in the hazmat suit comes into the house you've got these intermittent huge bass drum whacks like bang and that's the kind of thing that like yeah, yeah. when you when you listen to it close co- close contact with that you you really feel hits like that you don't just hear big bass drum whacks you really feel mm. them like mm-hmm. you get those vibrations mm. and that makes you feel feel stuff John, John William definitely capitalizes on the the vulnerability that Spielberg puts the audience in in those sequences. Yeah, and he uses you know the effects like that to really capitalize on that and and really kind of gauge a reaction out of you and I guess take you out your comfort zone. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And the whole thing is structured like that. There, there, there's a few really nice things that happen in the score as well. There's one thing that is very very interesting, and that's when they dress up for Halloween. Yes. Do you remember this scene? Yes, yes, yes. I like this. I like this. And film. there's a really yeah, the, the scene. Sorry, in the film. And there's a really funny moment where there's a kid dressed as another character. That's right. Yes. Can you remember? He dressed as Yoda. So there's a kid dressed as Yoda, and, and E.T. is under a sheet. He's pretending to be a ghost, and he sees Yoda, and he has a reaction almost like he's seen someone he recognizes. He's seen someone he recognizes and he goes, E.T. phone home, E.T. phone yes. home. And he runs towards him and he goes, no, no, no. And the kid in the older costume is like, what the, what the fuck? Yes. Do you remember that? Bit? Yes, yeah. yes. And I know what you're going to say next. Oh, well, say it then. I've, I've talked for a while. <laughs> okay, well, I know what you're going to say next because in the prequel trilogy, the famous, the famous line, so this is how democracy dies with, was it, uproarous? Thunderous, thunderous applause. Thunderous applause. And you look around the Senate and in the bottom right of your screen, there is E.T. There's, there's, a, there's a group of E.T. Group, aliens. Group of E.T. aliens. There's a group of E.T. aliens. I love that. I love yeah. that whole thing. But, and that's it's great. Jo- it's because jo- George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were best mates. Yes, and I love, I love that. But that moment when he goes towards the Yoda in the costume, I love yeah. that. That's really... That's yeah. a lo- I think that's one of the most lovely... Um, Easter egg nods to another film in a movie to date. Yes. I think that's the loveliest time where it's kind of just been like, oh, that's that's great, isn't but it? But it's You can only not... imagine what adventures they would go on. Oh, it's mad. <laughs> but the, what, what I was going to say was, it's not just the physical presence of a Yoda costume, mm-hmm. because what accompanies that score, John Williams just sticks in his Yoda theme. 
Oh, does he? He sticks in his Yoda theme in the ET score. You listen to it, it's in the track uh, the, the Magic Halloween, Hall- Halloween, Halloween is, or yeah, something Halloween, like that. Yeah. And you hear the full Yoda theme. You know, from Empire Strikes Back. And it lingers for much longer than that initial appearance of the Yoda costume oh, would suggest. That's awesome. It's really nice. It just makes me smile. Like that, just is, that is awesome. Knowing those themes and those characters and things like that is really funny. Now, unfortunately, like the nature of the internet and fandom and things like that, people have tried so hard to say that Star Wars exists within E.T. or vice versa. Right, yeah. And uh, stop it. No, okay. <laughs> You've been warned. Stop it! It's a it's a fun little like sharing Easter egg word because George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are best mates. That's it. If you want no other argument, it's because in ET there got a problem with me. You take this outside, all right? (laughs) I'll be waiting. Yeah, because in ET the kids like have Star Wars action figures. That random kid is wearing a Yoda costume. (laughs) Star Wars exists in ET as fiction as as it does. In, in in everything in our real life yeah so stop trying to <laughs> you've been warned stop hoping who's this directly at who's the speech <laughs> someone in mind ah. is there someone is there someone in your circle nah it's mind? just stupid people <laughs> don't let it get to you mate don't let it get come on don't don't get oh, angry you want to see him when he's like come on man. Nah, we talked don't. about this we really talked don't. about this I guess, do you want to bring on to the, the, the final sequence of this movie? Because this was... Re- or have you got some other points that you want Absolutely. to... Absolutely. Well, no, no. We'll get on to the, the final because it's basically built on the flying theme, the E.T. flying theme, which is what you you said you heard the most throughout the movie. Yeah. I think because I was, I was sort of cooking your breakfast and making sure that you were sort of well-fed and oh, well-housed and stuff. And whilst thanks, you were mate. doing that, you were sat on my sofa watching E.T. on your phone. Yeah. And all you can hear... I think this is a funny observation for E.T. I, I, is that you when, you when you watch someone else watch E.T. and you can't see the screen, all you can hear is... Elliot shouting and do 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 just constantly. Yeah, it's just, but it's just when those Elliot, two things. When Elliot constantly. shouts, can you tell any of the words that he says, or is no. it just? <laughs> it is just. It is. It's incom. Yeah, incomprehensible. Just babbling of a fucking ten-year-old. Yeah. Do you know how many edits they must have taken for that? Nice. Can you do that scene again, Elliot? But this time, you know, say the lines as opposed to just yeah. screaming at the, the greens. Also, what was he? Actually, that's something we've not talked about. Because it was really unhumane of Steven Spielberg, you know, to find a perfectly able-bodied guy and cut his legs off and put him in an E.T. costume, wasn't it? Absolutely. And stick him on a skateboard. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't care what you say, nobody can convince me that that was animatronics. No, it was a snuff film, basically, that was led up to that whole fucking sequence where they basically stuck this guy in a costume. But those two must have gotten really well, the chap who played E.T. and Elliot. You know, they must have, like, had a really great... No, but seriously, that's... No, 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 no. okay, this this joke's over. It's an animatronic puppet. (laughs) Is it really? Yeah, it is. I think for some sequences, there's a guy in that suit. I don't... I I don't know definitely. I think there is. I don't know definitely... (laughs) I don't know confidently enough to tell you categorically no, but I know for most of it it's an animatronic alien. I think it is a guy in the suit, right? I think it is. I'm going to... I'm gonna, I don't think so. I think it's an... Is E.T. a guy in a suit? Should it be with no legs? Yeah, because no legs will probably pick no, up in there. No legs? How does he walk? <laughs> Okay, right. Okay. 
two dwarfs, <laughs> as well as 12-year-old man that was born without legs, turned wearing the costumes to pay. So there was, there was a number of different people that were, that were wearing it, the costume. Demare actually walks on his hands to play in all scenes. Oh, well, I, so there was I, a twelve. So was a twelve-year-old boy who was born without legs, who basically walks with a lot for a lot of the scenes. How interesting! So I, I started wow. reading that, and I thought it was like the start of a joke. Like literally, something had just <laughs> Google had just taken what I put. That's in. a good insight to your sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's yeah, it's 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 a it's a guy who's in the suit as well as the anim. So I think the animatronic is for the sequences when it's his face. Yeah, and yeah. That the, in sequence the face and... is definitely animatronics and <laughs> like the not neck. a guy. <laughs> and it's like the neck's like oh, a hydraulic neck, thing. Yeah, yeah when yeah, the yeah. neck jumps up. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's things like that that just unnerved me. Yeah, no, it's a weird-looking alien, but, uh-huh. like, again, I, th- I think I f- just feel like that's the point. Do you want to talk about the but, end sequence? Yeah, let, let's go into the end sequence because we've got the flying theme, which is what everyone remembers this bit, all the bikes flying across the... Across the, the ravine, sky, yeah, yeah, the sky. Um, and you know there there are two of those shots in the movie. Earlier, when Elliot is uh, is flying on the bike with ET, mm-hmm. he flies across the moon, or the, sur- the silhouette of the, the moon. silhouette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, he creates a silhouette. Yeah, um, and then the second time, it's the whole it's the whole gang, and it's a, against a setting sun, and both times it's the flying theme playing throughout. But my favorite fact about this scene is that. The whole last 15 minutes of the movie are completely through composed. And what that means is there's no, they're not in separate tracks. There, there's a beginning, a middle and end to like this musical suite. And I think it's the counter argument to what you were saying of you can't really listen to this score mm-hmm. on its own without on the movie. Own, sure. And I would counter that by saying you can if it's the track escapes and goodbyes okay because that last 15 minutes of the movie basically takes all the elements all the musical elements that we've heard throughout the whole movie and puts it together Mm. at the end for like a climactic encore Mm -hmm. as it were Mm -hmm. and and um it was coming together so well and it was such a great concept and stuff and that like when they were putting it together john williams went to steven spielberg and said you know i'm not really liking how this how i've I've got this concept for like how they musically the end of this movie is going to go. It's not really fitting with like the the cut at the moment. And Steven Spielberg just said, "Right, okay, well, show me what you've got." And he played the ending, musically the ending of the movie that he wanted. And Steven Spielberg, right, it's like, right, well, we're recutting the movie to fit that. Really? Yeah. Wow. So the, the so, end of the movie was re-edited to fit with John Williams's score. Wow. For, that's for awful. that scene. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's ever happened. And I'm not sure there's any other film composer that has that kind of pull. <laughs> so, do you think they made the scene longer? Do you think they shortened? The I don't scene? know in what way it was changed. Because I, because I think that, I don't know in what way I it was think changed. it was probably lengthened. Because there is, it is a little bit long the scene, but the music is so brilliant, oh. it doesn't really matter. But it, it is the way that it just it, it climaxes, builds the, the the imagery, obviously of the, the the sort of the spiral door closing, and it's left just with ET's heart as the last thing you see before yeah. the door finishes, and then it takes off and flies away, and then it just goes to black at, at the end of the piece of music. It just finishes in the movie. Yeah. It is it is a really amazing end sequence to a movie. I mean, really yeah. amazing. And it still has like world the world class you know descriptive scoring in the heart of it, like when the gang are escaping from the police on bikes 
and Williams has this kind of actiony motor kind of thing. Dun, 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 yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and he. And he upsets the rhythm like at the end of some of the bars so that you, you don't ever get in an internal groove. You know, you listen to music, you always have like an internal groove mm. and you're kind of going along mm. with it. But when somebody inserts a little like rhythmical hiccup, mm-hmm. it upsets that and mm. stuff. And that's when the kids are like cycling through this construction site, desperately trying to get away from the from the police. And you can really feel that with that scoring. Mm-hmm. You know, all I can say is like, go and listen to this last track of the ET album. Yeah. It's called Escapes and Goodbyes or something. Yeah. And it's about and it's about 15 minutes long and it's an absolute masterwork. And I would listen to it outside of the movie. Yeah. I do listen to it outside yeah. of the movie. Okay. okay. And yeah, it's it, it really it really is a a pinnacle. That one track and then and more broadly the whole soundtrack really stands up there among the absolute greats for me. Nice. I think we'll call it there then. That's that's amazing. So. That's really nice. A thumbs up. Oh god, yeah. Two thumbs two up. Thumbs up. Two, nice. two thumbs yeah, up. Nice. Two thumbs up for me. I think yeah. I well I think actually as an overall package, I'm gonna say one. The right. reason I'm gonna say one is because the movie just unsettles me too much. Yeah. And I didn't have a great relationship with this movie as a child. I didn't watch it as a child. I think I was scared of it at one point. Probably. And but the music comes... This is where I kind of fought because, yeah, that, that description you gave at the end there and I was watching it again, you're right. Oh, this is the one I've been most torn with. Yeah. I think you need to watch it again. Yeah, I think <laughs> I do. Okay, I'm going to watch it again. It's one I'll watch thumb, it with you. One thumb I'll up, pending a second watching for the second yeah. thumb. So it's it's a conditional offer of, yeah. of of two thumbs up, conditioning that I watch the movie again and, and, it, I, and I finish and I turn to... I'm going to finish the movie and I'm going to say nothing and I'm going to turn to you slowly... And you're going to see whether that Caesar style, whether that second thumb makes an appearance Ooh. or not. That's what's going to do. Wacky <laughs> Phoenix and Gladiator. I'm going to film it for you. Yep. No, but it, you re- no, you really should because even, even in the flying theme, there, there's so much to get you so excited. If you think of that, just this last musical point I'm going to say because I just remembered it. You remember that violin, that violin melody, like dee da 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 da. Yeah. Da. yeah. And then the next time it happens, dee da, it goes a bit higher, da 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 da, da. and then it goes higher, dee ba da 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 da. And like when it happens at the Just ab- when when it has the when it happens at the absolute climactic moment, like when the whole gang are flying across the sky right at the end of the movie, the violins are playing that, and I've played this, so I know. In a re- like a really high part of the violin, it's much higher than you would expect anything else. And when you hear something that high, you think, okay, that's kind of like the top. That's kind of like the top of the scale. So when you start this big theme at the at the top of a register, you think, oh, it's got nowhere to go. And then when somebody adds more notes on top of that, you think, oh God, yeah, it's still growing. I see what you're saying. It's still I see growing. What you're saying. It's still yeah. exciting. And then. Um, it is very, very high. Isn't very, it? very high, and then it keep, and then it goes up again from what you think is the top about four times, and for me that's really, really exciting. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you because you think yeah, is this it here? That's it, and then it goes even yeah. 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 It's like how much more is there to give? Exactly, plenty. Ears are bleeding. Is there any more? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just moving up. But it's on purpose. It's designed it that way, and it's fantastic. Right. I'm going to take a quick break because I need a glass of water. Yeah, me too. And I need a wee-wee. I'm going to drink as I pee. 
Lovely. Like the letting go is the water goes in one end. And I'm sure we all, we all thank you for that <laughs> information. <laughs> you want to watch? No. Come on. No. It's, it's like a science experiment. It's like science. Right, that's plenty. <laughs> My film now. I went so and then went, what's the next word I'm going to say? I don't know. Okay, let's start again. Ready? Go! (laughs) So, for my movie this week, I have decided to take another step back from the previous Tarantino movie that we did a couple of episodes, quite a few episodes ago now, actually. Yeah, it was one of our first ones, that. Yeah, we went for the ninth Tarantino film last time. I'm going to go back to the most hated of all eight movies that had ever been made by Tarantino. Until that point. Until that point. <laughs> with Exactly. With 2015's Hateful Eight. Oh, I see what you did yeah, there. I, I by no I, means you know knew where you, where you were going. I'm just writing there. this down. Hang on, there we go. That's it. Perfect. And that's that film all sorted away. I fucking love this film. I know you do. It's <laughs> it, it has a special place in my heart because when I watched it, my girlfriend hated it. <laughs> and everyone I talk to hates it. And I love it. Excuse me? Apart from you. <laughs> a lot of people that I know don't like this movie. Yeah, I know a lot of people that don't they like it. They don't like well. it. And I love it. I love when I meet someone. Because this is one of those great points where you're kind of like, no, this is why it's a good movie. And this is why. Yeah. It, 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 no, yeah, exactly. You do want to fight the corner of mm-hmm. like movies that you love, don't you? It, yeah. And, and this, is, this is just one of those movies. Obviously, people kind of get into the idea that they don't like this movie because it's... People say, well, what sort of typical complaints about this movie you heard? I've heard boring. It's, it's too long. It's too long. It's... it's, And it's not completely unfounded. Like, it is a very long movie. And Tarantino has almost reached a stage because he is, you know, writer, director, producer, that, like... There isn't really an editor out. There isn't really an editor or producer out there who's gonna tell him he can't. Mm. He has to cut something. Mm. Like but, it's like the J.K. Rowling effect. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like, it's like yeah. the J.K. Rowling effect. Like you know, you, you see you see the beginning books and they're a certain length, and then you get to the end of the series and they're like ten they're times huge. longer. Absolutely. And and you're like, right, but yeah. you know, it's the same writer. Like, come on. She's <laughs> obviously grown in a bit more. You know, exactly. She's, she's got bit, the clout and she can write what she wants. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But for some people, it would be a bad thing because it then becomes a movie for people who just love Tarantino writing and movies and stuff like that. I guess, and I fall into that category quite, quite me, a lot. Me too, and that's, of and that's why I like but it. But I would have said Hollywood, if you had to put one of his films down, I think Hollywood's the one that went on too long. This one, I think, was just perfect. I, I, I think that this is one of those movies that I put my phone away every time for and I just sit and just watch yeah and actually every time I have watched this here's another one every time I've watched this movie I've watched it from start to finish and I know that's a weird statement to say and I, let me explain that yeah. I've never just watched a random from the halfway through this or I've never just started watching this movie then had to pop out 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've never done that. Yeah. If every time I've watched this movie, I've made time to sit and watch it all the way through, and, yeah. and therefore, for me, it doesn't feel too long. Right. Because I always make time for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, I know, I watched, I know, I watched um, the last fifteen minutes of ET just while we were having breakfast there. Yeah. But like generally, I it don't, lends itself to a bit more of but that than I, But it was kind of, and also it was kind of because I wanted to get, you know. I wanted to have in my head point for point exactly where the music fit yeah. in that last scene, but generally I don't watch I don't watch watch movies unless I can turn off and watch all of it anyway. But, but I know what you mean. But you and I think, but hatefully is only good if you really give it the full focus and attention. If you let it build, and you, I guess there's a, there's a large element of of there there is a pre assumed knowledge to a lot of the story that's going on and things that are kind of you know your end of the civil war and kind of slavery is very much like not a thing anymore. It's very it's been it's been classed as we don't really like slavery it's uh, it's not there but it's still there culturally aha uh-huh. and it's a weird film you know you've got that melting pot going on then you've got all of the lies throughout this movie because yeah. every character lies yeah. at some point and every character finds out and as soon as you think one character's really honourable and, and noble you know thinking like the Lincoln letter for example yeah, even Sammy J that. like that that's a brilliant and we'll get to that bit when we get to the end of the movie my, my big takeaway from the hateful eight and I thought this when I came out of the cinema the first time after I watched it. And I saw the long version. Yeah, me the, too. So I want to talk about that the, one too. With the intermission. My big takeaway was, oh, this was the Reservoir Dogs he wanted to make. Oh, okay. This yeah. is the... Because it's the same concept. It is the same Bad guys concept. in a room. Yes. Bad, bad guys in a room, which, if you just look at it like that, is exactly the same concept as Reservoir Dogs. Except Reservoir Dogs is like an hour and 20 minutes long. Yeah. And hatefully, it's pushing on like, Three hours, yeah. You know, two forty. Yeah, it's it's like twice as long. It's like so. I'm gonna have you explain this next section because you talked about the seventy millimeter longer edition of this that was released at special cinemas. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to give a sort of quick round off of what that meant and what that was because ultimately. Tarantino used a camera, the Panasonic camera effect that hasn't yeah. been seen since the likes of Ben Hur before this yeah. was before this was filmed. And it's when it's when they were really starting to develop like you know widescreen technology when big cinemas were becoming a thing, and it basically means you can get more of a shot in a shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you can get way more, and I, I could tell when I was watching the movie because I saw this at the Odeon in Leicester Square, mm. which at the time was the only 70 millimeter projector because you also need the projector mm, mm. to project in 70 millimeters mm, mm. Um, so as well as the, as well as the filming yeah and I saw this in Sydney in, in city center Sydney yeah. for the same reason because I was living in the show at the time yeah and and I the audience Leicester Square was the only one I think in the UK I think ours was the only one in Australia yeah that we, that we were using and so it, yeah I very specifically chose this in fact tell a lie I've got another little funny fact there is another one in Sydney and I, I found out the, the the couple of days after that I went to see let's say I went to see it on Saturday night in City Centre Sydney yeah there was another cinema that was showing this very special edition of this feature of this film in North Sydney Samuel L. Jackson and Tarantino were there that night Oofed. and I missed the opportunity to go to the city. I mean it was packed obviously you wouldn't have seen much but no. they were there that night because they were over in Australia I think they were doing shooting scenes and, and looking at locations and stuff like that sure I think there was a because I think he had some sort of projects that he was thinking to do in Australia that, there was a long sort of rumour around this sort of Australia vibe of of, of the, the afterwards of Hateful Eight and stuff, which never really came to anything, actually. Yeah. Um, I think there was a project in, in the works for it. Sorry, you were saying, though, about the, se- the 70 mil, mil. So what other things came with that special f- showing? For me and mine, it, you got a brochure. 
Yeah. When you, you yeah, sat yeah, yeah. down. Yeah. You sat down and the overture was playing. Yeah. Now the overture, I guess we'll get onto the music and such, but the overture is a specific piece of music by Ennio Morricone who, yeah. who who did it as and it's called Overture and it and it just plays it's a sort of twinkly um, mysterious, well, malevolent almost piece of music. That's just... well, there's a sen- there's a central theme to the whole movie mm-hmm. that's played on a bassoon, right? Yes, 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 yes. The, so this yes. is this is like the main theme. There's there's a lot of musical points to hit in this, as I'm sure you'll take us through. But like, there is one main. But there's also the but that's so that so that's. Uh, basically the last coach out of Red Rock kind of theme. Yeah. But but the overture is even more mysterious. In fact, I'm going to pause it for a second and just rejig his memory on this one because you'll know what I mean when you hear All it. All right. I remember seeing the overture on the screen. It literally said the word overture and had the wagon with the yeah. trail of blood behind it as it played that slowly just building evil sort of piece But you know the music. reason why that why that's there for the what Tarantino called the roadshow version mm-hmm. is because that's how movies were presented back in the day. Mm. Tarantino, as I think we discussed when we talked about Hollywood, is he's an absolute nerd for cinema. Mm. Biggest cinema nerd ever. And you know, sorry, just on that, he's not just the biggest cinema nerd. He he's not a he's not a snob about it. No. He's not a snob. I was listening to him on a podcast recently talking about this, how he goes to some... He just takes himself to the cinema to see any movie. Yeah. He'll go and see the Transformers movie. He doesn't care. Yeah. He goes and just yeah, loves, loves movies, movies so much. I think that's so admirable because he's so into his knowledge of his specific types of movies and yeah. he's very, very well versed on them. But he also will watch just the normal mainstream stuff too. Love yeah. that. I love that. Yeah, but, you know, back, back in... I don't know what you know we're talking about here, but... You know, movies would have overtures and intermissions for, Mm. you know, comfort breaks and stuff like that, where you would hear. And I I feel like this kind of um, stems back, like, right the way back to opera, right? Mm. If you look at the operas of Mozart, right, and Verdi and all these other Italian greats and things like that, there would always be an overture Mm -hmm. at the start at the start of the opera. Now, back in the, back in those days, going to the opera was a common man's thing. There was mm-hmm. th- there were various classes of opera. There was like posh opera that like only royalty and upper classes would go, and then there was comedic operas that were written for the masses, that mm-hmm. were for community theaters, and everyone would go in there, and it'd be like a party. Like mm-hmm. people would be, they wouldn't have the stigma of like sit down and shut up like we do, <laughs> like when when we go and see really? classical music. Okay, okay. Classical music nowadays, they would be like drinking they'd have picnics and like it'd be a mm. right party and basically the orchestra would have to start playing something loud in order to just get them to shut the fuck <laughs> right, up okay nice. genuinely that, that that's genuinely oh, what, okay. what they were there for and and the intermission there wouldn't be music played through throughout the intermission as it were but there would be another second act overture oh, okay. to do basically see, the same I job see, i see interesting so it's basically just heralding the arrival of the story mm-hmm. which i think these do the same job so Famously, Ennio Morricone won the Oscar for this. He also won the Golden Globe, and yeah. quite rightly so. Basically, the, the, the film, I'm just reading some points here. So the score features notable horror references. Now, this is something that was picked up quite a lot by people who were doing reviews of the movie. Famously, he took elements of The, the Thing from John, from John Carpenter in 1982. So yeah. basically... How it was how it was almost described to me was that it was pieces of music that were left almost on the cutting room floor or pieces of and, and he kind of just went, Well, hang on, I can repurpose these things and create 
the 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 score for uh, Hateful Eight using them. There was also elements of The Exorcist Two, um, so a kind of like Reagan's theme, which was used from The Exorcist Two. But 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 this was basically like I remember hearing this and going, God, yeah, you're right. And when you look at it, it's a horror movie soundtrack. Yeah. To a thriller film, yeah, but it's it's the horror movie element of this. I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's you know we talked a little bit about the pairings of with ET and a perfect pairing. This sort of stuff. This is like salted caramel. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. That's what this is. It's like it shouldn't go with it. You know, salt with caramel, but it does. Yeah, you know, horror movie with this sinister, almost geopolitical uh, drama piece in one yeah. room, and you put a horror soundtrack. It's amazing. It works to so say, To so say nothing well. of the fact that it looks like a Western. Yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. <laughs> How many genres do you want in this movie, Quentin? <laughs> There's also, not only does the, 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 does the film, sorry, use scores from Ennio Morricone but there's also featured fil- uh, songs from artists like David Hess and the White Stripes and Roy Orbison so it kind of does not only the score but the mo- the, the soundtrack almost element that we talked a little bit before uh, the, the soundtrack actually itself has three parts the score the songs and it has elements of the speech because some of the dialogue in this movie is amazing oh, Stella I, I, Tarantino it's why I absolutely amazing it's why I go to the Tarantino movies as far as the as for, as for the dialogue, it's poetic. And he's talked about it before. There's a musical quality to the, to his spoken word. Mm. And it's why he it's why he works with the same actors over and over again, most notably being Sammy J. Mm. Mm. And Tarantino's gone on record on many occasions to say that nobody gets the delivery of his dialogue like Samuel L. Jackson. No, I, and I agree. You know, that, that sequence where he's doing the detective sequence where he's got all their hands up against the wall and he deduces that yeah. the Mexican, there used to be a sign over the bar and it said, you know, no dogs and no Mexicans. Do you know why they took the sign down? Because many started letting in dogs. Yeah. And, and, oh. and, and the way that he delivers that and then he just starts shooting him, you know. Yeah. And, and, and but, but, spoilers. <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> but you're right. But... but the, Notable performances, uh, Kurt Russell, huge yeah. fan of his voice. Yeah. I like listening to his voice. He obviously was brought on as the narrator um, for a large part of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because his voice is just so great. Oh, yeah, and, Kurt Russell's great. I, I and, love him in Death Proof as well. Yes, 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 oh. yes. He's so good in that too. But the one that stands out, the the, the one who delivers their lines the best in this is Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah. She, she, is it that? Am I pronouncing it yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She is just... But really, how she starts, she's just such a horrible woman, yeah. like a horrible, evil woman. And then by the end, it's like Carrie almost. She's just covered in blood, yeah. you know, you know, with and, and she is basically like the devil, yeah. you know, at the end of it. And, and, and obviously Tarantino does a lot of imagery and, and she creates strong female, he creates strong female characters and stuff. But combining them with uh, Daisy Domergue is just yeah. she one of the best characters. Yeah. Um, it's so it's so funny because he... Uh, Tarantino always gets so much flack mm. for his slightly edgy kind of depictions in his movies. Mm. And like in, in Hollywood, he was criticized quite heavily of having Sharon Tate as a, as a central character, mm. but only having, only having her for not a huge amount of the movie. Mm. Mm. And that, and how did he justify that? 
And he basically just told that reporter to shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I have a lot no. of time for it. And he's like, no, I did what I want. I did what I wanted with the Sharon Tate character. Mm. By the way, in real life, Sharon Tate was murdered, and she she's not in my in in my movie because mm. I love her love her to bits. Mm-hmm. I love Margot Robbie's portrayal of her, and she did a fantastic job in it. It was exactly what I needed in my movie. So mm. shut up. Mm. And like with and with the hateful eight as well he got a whole load of press questions about daisy domergu as why she was why she was basically lynched mm. at the end she's like the, she's like the only woman in the movie and the lynch and stuff is like it's just because you're like chauvinistic yeah. or sexist and she's like and he's like no every single movie every single character in this movie sucks ass yeah yeah there's no good evil, guy there's yeah. no good guy in this in this movie and in mm. fact Fact, apart from OB, the coach driver. Apart from OB, yeah. <laughs> apart from, apart from horrendous end. Apart he? from OB, but he was. I think it'd be it'd be sexist not to not to have not to su- suggest that like women can't be yeah. a bad guy as well. Yeah, exactly, so, exactly. Just shut up. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about Morcone and Tarantino's relationship. So basically, Tarantino has been asking Morcone to put music to his movies for years yeah, I, mean, I think Tarantino has been on record as saying Morricone is his favourite yeah absolutely like, and so he basically he turned down the offer for Pulp Fiction but the director so so Tarantino has used Morricone's music in Kill Bill Death Proof and Glorious Bastards and Django Unchained yep. and their first real sort of chemistry came when Django all very different movies all very different movies but obviously the, the central thing of maybe things like Revenge and and, and and a nemesis and a kind of and a culmination of the goody and the villain and in, in yep. kind of the, there's which are all very very strange themes I know but they all kind of have that Morricone trademark from the spaghetti westerns yeah but the interesting one I last the last one there so Django Unchained there's a really a really uh, that's a soundtrack for a different and a score different movie and we'll get to that one one day because I, I I think arguably that's I'm I slightly prefer that one to this one. Oh really I bet that's the time where you first have the two of them combine Morcone and Tarantino with a song in Coraqui, which is the piece of music that's played just before the final act starts, where they're laying the cutlery and they're getting the house ready, the big, you know, the White House ready um, for Calvin Candy's house and, right. that, and that whole sequence. That's, that an, original, that's, an, that's original an original song composition, composition by okay. Morcone for Tarantino's movie. So that from there on then, but basically there was famous... There was a bit of backwards and forwards about Morcone sort of stating, I will never do a piece of music for Tarantino. But then he kind of went back on that and saying, no, it was taken out of context, etc., etc. Of course it was. Obviously, 50, uh, by 2015, he does he does this full scoring for Tarantino. Um, but there's 34 years from the last time he did a Western score to this one. So yeah. 34 years back. And it's like he never left. But in some respects, he doesn't do a Western score. He doesn't do no, it's West very score, different. As, if you tried, if you tried to listen to his Hateful Eight score along alongside his Dollars trilogy scores mm, mm, or, or, or Once Upon a Time, Time in the West, West yeah. like they're very, very different. Mm. Very, very different indeed. Mm-hmm. So basically, as I said before, it, he he gives this moody tension building uh, piece of music. Basically, um, there was a really funny article basically that Vulture put out that was basically when Tarantino was asked how is Morse Coney's score sounding, he joked, "Oh, it's horrible." I mean, what do you expect me to say? You'd hear it when you see it. It's absolutely abysmal, and no, there's no whistling in this score, <laughs> which is a really fun. It's a really fun note to that. I would not. Western. I would not want to be a journalist that had to talk to Quentin Tarantino. Exactly. Would you? No, no, no. no you wouldn't want to be, be that be horrible. guy. Be. <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the songs. Okay, before we get on, Apple Blossom. 
Yep. Now, that's a white stripe song that's used at such a fantastic point in the movie. It just, it takes you out of this old sort of, this Western front with the, the, the classical score and the soundtrack, and you're kind of like, oh, here we go. And, it's this. and then all of a sudden, you've got this contemporary piece of music that's like, wait a fucking minute. And you've got Jack White's uh, vocals to the kind of, I guess, the kind of acoustic guitar strumming, dash, constant downstrum guitars of yeah. the song Apple Blossom, which was just a weird track on, I can't remember what album it was, I think it was something about a girl album, I forget the name of the, the album that it was from, but it, it's just a weird track that obviously Tarantino has just listened to and went, I want to do this, in my, I use that in my movie. And how he uses it is great because it just starts with the Hey little apple blossom, what seems to be the prop as it's just focusing yeah. on Domergue. You know, and it's and it's just focusing on her kind of looking and kind of giving a kind of a wink and a nod to Sammy J. And it, it, it just as that film starts. And I just think it's a great use of, of, of song before the real beat kicks in and the piano starts and the drums start. And it's kind of like that honky tonk piano you associate with like Western saloon bars. Yeah. So in some ways, this is the closest Western song or Western yeah. typical song that you have in the movie. Yeah. F- for all the songs that, that are used there. Uh the next song that I want to talk a little bit about is one that we see on screen. Now, obviously, we get hints throughout that Daisy Domergue has a musical ear. She hums while she's in the stagecoach and stuff, yeah, and yeah. she sort of whistles away. But then she picks up the guitar, the the famous Martin guitar. Have you heard this story oh, about yeah. this guitar? I was thinking about this story earlier, and I'd wondered if, if, you, if you knew about it. Yes. But yeah, I did. And it, when I read it, I was just like, oh. Kurt, so basically, uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell, the act. Well, it's not a really. I think it's a communication problem. So oh I'm gonna, God! I'm yeah. give you some, oh, there's no way he would have. I'm gonna I'm gonna fill the audience yeah. in that, that don't know. So basically, the actor is responsible for for destroying a hundred and forty five year old guitar. A hundred and forty five year old. So basically, uh, it's a one of a kind Martin from the eighteen seventies that was on loan from the Martin Guitar Museum. But basically, in all fairness, Russell didn't know that he was handling an antique in the actual scene, um, according to basically Dick Bolt, the director of the museum, who who basically who put it together. And, and how I read it as there was there was a number of different guitars that they had as replicas that they were going to use for yeah. the smash sequence where he goes play time's over and he smashes it against the music. But what's great is that you can see if you watch back that scene. You can see that Jennifer Jason Lee, she, she is, is like panic. She's panicked. She goes, "What? What?" And you can see that she, you can see she makes eye contact with Tarantino. Yeah. So you can see where Tarantino would have been, but they keep that in that, yeah. that real reaction. I love that. It's great, isn't it? And it's not the first time that that's happened in a Tar- Tarantino movie before. Okay. As well, because that also happened. Oh, 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 the the glass cutting sequence in in when he cuts his hand. The skull. The skull, yes. In Django. In Django. When they're at the dinner table and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's going going off on one about the deformity of a uh, black person's skull, mm. right? You know, good, to- yeah, good yeah, topic exactly, of conversation. Exactly, yeah, exactly. A nice dinner table discussion. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> thanks, Leo. <laughs> and when he gets to the point where he's like, there's been many lies said here tonight, and, and I think he smashes, he smashes the skull with a hammer or something mm. like that. And he slices his hands completely open, mm, mm. and there's, there's a bit there's, of glass. It is a bit of glass, I think, or it's a bit of yeah, glass or yeah. something. But whatever, he slashes his hand completely open, and from what I read about it, it was pretty. And you can see the blood mm, mm. on a shot, but he kept going, and, he, and then that's the shot he used. And and it, and he 
and what's the name of he her? He wipes Kerry Washington. Yeah. So it's Kerry Washington, Washington basically receives a handful of blood across her face. Yeah, that's not fake blood. That's yeah, real blood that mm. is white, and that's and her reaction is oh, that's yeah. grim, and yeah. it's that's real reaction, and that's and that's great. Other other famous other famous real reactions in Tarantino movies include. Tarantino actually strangling Diane Kruger in, oh, in, 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 in Glorious Bastards. It's not. Uh, it's Christoph Waltz. Sorry, not Tarantino strangling. No, no, no. But the hands are Tarantino's. Oh, are they? Because Christoph Waltz couldn't do it. Oh, I did not know that. That's really the, cool. the actual hands. When you see the shot of her not breathing, that shot and the hands. That's Tarantino's hands, wow. and he's actually sh- like choking her. Like Jesus. And I, you know that. I think my line is a bit before then. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a bit too far, Quentin, but like, know. you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about the song Jim Jones to Botany Bay. Obviously, I mentioned at the time I was in Australia when this movie came out and I watched that there. So Botany Bay being a famous bay uh, in New South Wales down by Australia and it tells the story of a... It doesn't say where the prisoner's from, but it's assumed it's a British prisoner who's basically yeah. in chains being sailed to Australia where all prisoners were sent. Yeah. And en route... He was captured by pirates and basically the song sort of dictates the thought process of do I leave and join these pirates or do I stay in my life will go to, you know, in chains to Botany Bay. Yeah. And it's quite a quite a good song choice because obviously Daisy Dormergue is in a similar situation where she's in chains basically being taken to, you know, taken to hang almost yep. in Red Rock. And she comes across all, obviously, the en route, the pirates, the villains, almost, as as it were. They're there to save her and rescue her. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a really, really great sort of uh, mix over, uh, sort of crossover almost in comparison. But what I really like is that she changes the lyrics in the last line to really get under John Ruth's skin. She says, the last, the last line says, and you'll be dead behind me, John, when I get to Mexico. Yeah, and that's how she finished it, and that's what really annoys him—that he's kind of let her under his protection, get a bit ballsy, play a guitar, and then threaten him midway through the song that John Booth asked her to keep playing. Yeah, and then he smashes the guitar in front of her. I, I, I think it's really great, and and the, the whole the fact that music is used as the tool, as the, as the as the moderator almost as you were to 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 create that real poisonous hate between these two yeah, characters. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. 100%. Something that's not on the soundtrack, little nod, when Mexican Bob picks up the piano and starts playing Silent Night. Really great use. Can you remember this? So basically, it looks like you're, you're struggling, but basically what happens, I'll tell you, right? I remember he plays something. I can't he plays remember Silent Night. As, Silent as, Night. as they're basically taking the, 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 the body of, uh, I forget the old, it's... Um, uh, 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 Laura Dern's dad what's he called uh, Bruce, Bruce Dern Bruce Dern uh, after he's been shot and they're kind of taking that body outside Mexican Bob sits in the piano and, and sort of plays Silent Night with one hand in, in the treble clef but he kind of does it really like cumbersomely and he stumbles over quite a lot of notes yeah. and it's quite uncomfortable and quite unnerving yeah. because you're like something's going to happen. Something's yeah. going to happen here. And then the music well, kicks back in. Well, the whole film is a pressure cooker. And then something, ha- kick- the music kicks back in. Ennio Morricone's with the building cello strings as it's building up to someone's going to drink the poison coffee. Everybody yeah. knows it. And the, the chapter is called Domergue's Got a Secret. Yeah. And the Domergue's Got a Secret is the first half after the intermission. So you come back after the intermission. The, the first half of the film ends with Bruce Dern dying. And yeah. the second one starts with Tarantino's voice narrating, which I yeah. think he does a great job as the narrator yeah i really like it yeah. i really think it's a good part to it and it's Which, called, that's previously 
he's not been a fantastic actor. No, no, but he does. <laughs> so there's, I've got a point with that one on Pulp Fiction. I guess when we get to Pulp Fiction, we'll talk about that and his his character Jimmy. He kind of does it deliberately almost. Yeah. There's, there's a there's a real reason why he plays Jimmy as a weird character. Yeah, but um, also Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, dogs. Yeah, he's not great. Yeah, you, why do you just call me Mister Mister Pussy and Mister Shit? Or what is it, Mister Brown or Mister Pink? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but basically, the 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 music then builds back up with the low bass and it builds and builds before you see John Booth projectile vomit blood. Do you know what? And it kind of just, you're like, you say the pre- the pressure cooker element and the, the, the kind of like someone's murdered John Booth, the, you yeah. know, the kind of just the, 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 the score just builds a crescendo yeah. and just dumps a whole load of notes just at the end of that piece yeah. of music. And again, Daisy gets absolutely shattered. She gets like projectile in her face. It is just horrific. Another song that basically gets used when uh, Joe Gage basically they do the the prequel where they the the sort of the, the flashback where they Michael show Madsen Michael Madsen is Joe yeah basically he gets a little piece of music where his shotgun is he's chasing the final member of of Minnie's haberdashery staff round the corner into the outhouse as yep. he's bleeding he kind of got away from the initial fight where um, we have Channing Tatum coming with his surprise role as uh, is, it, is it is it Jesse Domergue or I think it's something along the lines of yeah I think it's Jesse yeah. And and you've got the was it the the, Dom, the Domingue gang yeah. and um, and obviously you've got Tim Roth who who changes from oh I love so, it so so I love, that was I love such it. a when, good when Tim, when Tim Roth is when Tim Roth is playing his honest gentleman he's Odbro was it Mulberry Os Aubrey Osstream Oswald Oswald Mulberry nice to meet you. But then, oh, yes. Is, oh, yeah, yes. yes. And, and what is it that he, he, he does? You this? shall that hang is, by the neck until you are dead. That is frontier justice. Yeah. So that speech is on the soundtrack because he's so good at it. But what I like a lot about it, when he plays the villain, hey, all right, he's got a Cockney accent. <laughs> yeah, he's As a, a Cockney, villain, yeah. he's a Cockney. Well, he's actually a Cockney. But I love that. Yeah. I lo- yeah, of course he's, yeah. But I love that. I love it how he kind of, because that's a little nod for us with the accents of, you know, a very posh accent and you can trust someone with a posh accent but you can't you can't trust someone with a, with a Cockney accent. I, at the first time viewing, that was such a great punchline. Yes. I thought that was hilarious that he was actually a Cockney. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the song Joe Gage gets where he basically chases this limping employee of Minnie's haberdashery round the corner to the outhouse with a shotgun is David Hess's Now You're All Alone. And it is just a bright pairing of Now You're All Alone. And it's basically going... Well, mate. Fuck me. <laughs> exactly, and it's just, and then it just, and just as the song is builds, just the me, crescendo. Is it just me, or is or is it just in the Tarantino movies? Are all of Michael Madsen's characters sadistic yeah. psychopaths? Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, you know, because you've got Kill Bill, uh, where he's an absolute. He buries her alive. That's yeah. horrendous. You know, and then you've got obviously. Like, yeah, and he's going to like put pepper spray right in her eyeball. Mister White. Uh, obviously from from dogs where he's he's just the the cutting of the ear yeah you're you're oh the peppers from the eyeball yeah uh, I'm just trying to think any, any other ones that yeah he's, he's not Mister White in that though is he is it Mister Blonde is it yeah it's Mister Blonde sorry not Mister yeah. White yeah Kytel's White isn't he yeah uh, but yeah and I, and I and I think that's a really really great piece of music and it just it just the music just cuts off when the shotgun gets fired blasts yeah. in this guy's face. As we move to the end of the movie, there's another couple of examples where Anya Morricone really leans on the era of what we're watching of cinema. And he basically, in La Lettera di Lincoln, which is my best... Fabulous Italian. Italian, yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Uh, Pig Italian. Exactly. He, they read out the Lincoln letter. Now, we talked a bit about, about, little bit about the Lincoln letter before, but just to summarise the Lincoln letter piece, I love that because, I love it because he, it's a really famous letter and when they read it in the, car- the carriage, almost light shines on it like it's like yeah. from, you know, from God and they do that really clever cinematography. He then reveals throughout the movie that it was a fake letter. Yeah. But at the end of it, they kind of don't really think about that. They, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because well, they're both about to be dead. They're both so. about to be dead, but, <laughs> but they believe in anything. And and it plays this old sort of Civil War bugle horn piece of music yeah. that's just so slow. And it's kind of it's kind of like the, um, got, uh, uh, what's it called? Taps almost. You know, the guns, the sun, to the earth, to do 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 yeah, it's you know, it's just, military and it's American, and 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 I, but I think it's a really great use of that sort of horn style music. Just as they're like, they, they both know it's a fake letter. They're both yeah. there. They're dying. Sammy J's had his nad shot off, you know, and it's yeah. just like, oh, note the, the tenuous link between James Bond getting his nad shot off and Tammy and Sammy J actually getting them shot <laughs> off between last week and this. <laughs> but the but it is actually a slight slight segue. There's one shot I really love in in Hateful Eight, and it's where he's bleeding on the bed mm. and he's clutching his nads, and um, and the sheriff guy what's his name again oh it's uh, chris maddox chris maddox is explaining why he's not gonna turn on him he's not gonna turn on sammy g and he's sat there cl- clutching his neck just like chuckling away mm. in mm. the corner like not in focus but you can see him do like hey yeah yeah, yeah. i don't know what it is those, those, those really two are great shot. those two are great together because when they first are in the coach together they really don't like each other and then by the end of the movie, they're just they 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 kind of really lean on each other quite literally to get yeah. her to hang her to hang Daisy. Brilliant. Yeah, which that's rough. Last song I'm going to talk about. Yeah, there won't be many coming home. There won't be Roy Orbison. That's the music that's played at the end of the credits. I mean, out of this, this cast, the there won't be any that are coming home. And that's it. And I love it. I love it that that's that that's the song that gets played at the end. There, listen, all you brothers, listen, all you sons. Uh, I th- now there won't be many, maybe five out of twenty, but there won't be many coming home. I love it. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's that kind of middle finger to all the cast, to all the characters of. Fuck you all! You're all dead. Yeah, like it just came to nothing. The whole thing came to fuck all. Yeah, like and do you think that might be a reason? Do you, do you think that might be a reason by why a lot of people don't like this movie? Yeah, it, because there is a pointless element to it. You know, there is. It's like everyone went off into the. Everyone goes off into a cabin in the blizzard in 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 uh, in the west, and no one survives. Everyone dies. You go well. There's no story there, but it, do, it doesn't matter if yeah. everyone comes. Doesn't matter if there's a lone survivor that comes back. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Who you know? Who cares about that? It's it's a great story. Yeah. You know, and and they they just use every tool and device that they can. The music and the the acting and the the drama pieces and the costumes and the the switching of accents and the 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 over explosions of the gunfire when you know Mexican Bob gets his head blown off with the two guns you know like it's amazing you can feel Tarantino you can hear Tarantino going yeah and like going yeah that's what I want in my movies I want the blood and I want it yeah and I fucking love it yeah it's great I just fucking love that whole thing yeah and it's just the philosophy of like Tarantino he's an artist and he makes what and he makes what he wants none of his movies have been or will ever be pandering to anyone other than him he's always said that he will he makes movies that he wants to watch Mm. 
Mm. I like his taste. I love so it. I like his yeah. taste, so I like his movies. Uh, and there's no one like that. No. Special mention, they redo the Say Goodbye to Your Nazi Balls, but they do it in, obviously, in Mexican, where he goes, Say Goodbye to Your Hueva, what is it, Your Hueva Zombre, and he shoots Tarantino yeah. up through the floorboard. I thought that was a really great callback to his previous, obviously, Big Red Apple features once again, yeah. much in all of them. No big kahuna burger. No big, <laughs> no big kahuna burger in this one there. I feel like it would have been... Yeah. I, they should have had a big kahuna burger in there. <laughs> Any other favourite sequences or scenes in this movie? I like it when uh, Daisy Dormagoo gets the face full of stew in her face. When it, when they find out about the Lincoln letter and she she starts, she has the cackle laughter and he just throws the stew in her face. Yeah. I also love the gag the gag with the door. Like how, yeah, ma- yeah, how yeah. many times they you have gotta use two. You gotta use two and the two hands. <laughs> what? So, use that hammer. <laughs> it is just a gag. And like doesn't OB have to like go through the door like so many times? They so many times. Send, they keep sending him out, and he comes back the last time because curls up in front of that, the fire. That door's a whore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, and it's great though. Again, like back to the seventy mil. Another great use of the widescreen is that on the special edition, you can see the whole cabin in yeah. one shot. Yeah. Fucking awesome! It's great. Fucking, you and, only and, get that. In you, the and you and you know the full. You know, I always hate this. It's like something I used to always annoy me watching like friend like sitcoms like Friends. I hated it because like you never saw the back end of some of the rooms. You never knew what. Well, you, yeah, tell yeah, me what one sets. side of exactly it's a set. I do, you, oh, do you know what? Don't. I, I did love it, but don't ever go to. The, sometimes they do Friends experiences mm. where they take the sets on the mm-hmm. roads and they go there and you see the sets. But it just kills the magic. Does it really? It does. It? Oh. <laughs> Don't meet your heroes. But you wouldn't have that if this with this movie because they actually use a lot of that. They create the set. They did a 360 round yeah. for it. It was a really great. And then they filmed obviously a lot of it on location as yeah. well. Amazing. Uh, I think that's that's it for me in my uh, report on Hateful Eight. For me, this one is instant two thumbs up. Yeah. Instant two thumbs. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Two, two, two thumbs up for me as well. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. It's almost like we only talk about movies that we actually like. I know, I'm going to have to oh, find no, some. Oh, no, wait. Suicide Squad. Oh, wait. We'll do Justice League next. move forward yeah let's moving forward Alex do you want to bring something to moving forward as a segment yeah so I'm quite a big fan of you know a bit of a guilty pleasure I'm a, I'm a fan of these like franchise movies mm. and like you know shared universes and stuff mm. like that mm. regardless of their success or quality cough DC mm. end cough yeah exactly and one of the one of the um, cinematic universes we have at the moment which arguably is even worse than the DC ones is the dark is the universal dark monsters universe movie otherwise known as Tom Cruise runs away from some sand and kisses in, a woman in London and kisses and a woman to death eyes and has without four a pair eyes. of glasses yeah that's the name of the movie exactly <laughs> do you know right okay i'm going to i'm going to say this now so obviously we're talking about the invisible man yeah yeah uh, elizabeth moss yeah. looks to 
portrayed who who plays the Invisible Man in this movie? Because obviously Kevin I don't Bacon, think it matters. Well, Kevin Bacon was famously the Invisible Man for the first one. A great movie actually. The first. Well, I've not Invisible seen that. Man. Really good movie actually. Uh, I really like it. It's a good sort of horror thriller esque okay. type. The end sequence, how they catch. I'm him. a fan of Kevin Bacon. I as really well. want to see if they use the same sequence. They catch him. Basically, she kind of corners herself in the lab and sprays vials of blood everywhere, meaning that he she can sort of see him if he comes closer because she yeah. sees the footprints. I love that. Well, I, I saw like... one of the trailers for this new one. And she like dumps some paint. Oh, she dumps, okay, okay. She's she's in the attic and she dumps some paint back down the hatch, and mm. he's standing on mm. the ladder. Yeah. And if you if you if you've ever been up in like one of those attics that you need a ladder to get to, yeah, you'd shit yourself. Yeah, yeah, you've got yeah. nowhere to go. And I've seen the breath as well that he draws breath. Jinky's naked. Jinky's naked. Yeah, no, he is naked. He is naked. Bacon's naked the whole time. He is naked. If you put if you put something on him like paint that then makes him visible, then by definition, if he was wearing clothes, he'd be visible. Paint gets on his. Paint gets on his wee man. Oh goodness. Do you not think he's a bit cold? Freezing. Yeah. He would be freezing. He's walking around bollock naked. And it's not not even pants. No socks. No. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Because that kills me. I can't wear... I need to wear socks even when in the house. I'll go bollock naked anywhere <laughs> as long as I have socks on. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. <laughs> Alex, are you coming out tonight? What are you wearing tonight? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just a pair of socks and a smile. Yeah. Mum, I don't think this is the podcast that you show, that, that, that you show to Granny. Cheers. <laughs> But uh, yeah, back to the the whole dark universe. Let, let's just let's just briefly talk about this because yeah. the dark universe in a concept is great. DC yeah. own the rights to the Mummy, the creature from the Black Lagoon. They own the rights to Jekyll and Hyde, Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, Dracula, the Bride of Frankenstein. You know they've got all these really cult classic horror movie characters, yeah. and for a large part. There was a push to push to make a universe from it. Obviously, we had the start, the Mummy yeah. trilogy from you know the yeah. late two, the early two thousands. Brendan Fraser's classic yeah. with and the spin off. Genuinely, of, it should be so easy because sh- because frankly, who the hell cares? Exactly, who, <laughs> who does care? But it's 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 a classic example of again of you remember that famous shot where we had on the same scene you have Johnny Depp as who was going to be the Invisible Man. Yeah. You had Angelina Jolie, Jolie who was I think going to be the Bride of Frankenstein. You had Javier yeah. Bardem who I think was going to be a Frankenstein's monster. You had, obviously, uh, Gerald Butler, who in the Mummy film with Tom Cruise was Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll. And Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, who did I say? Gerald Butler. Gerald Butler. Oh, Jerry Butler. Sorry, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. <laughs> Gerard, Gerard, I don't know that came Gerard Butler. And then, obviously, Tom, Tom Cruise, who plays uh, famous uh, a man. And so you've got all these sort of like... <laughs> who plays Tom Cruise. Uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, he, he runs a lot. He literally plays Tom Cruise. In that <laughs> he runs <movie>. a lot. <laughs> But it's the whole thing of every time. Obviously, we had Dracula Untold in 20, 2004. We had Van Helsing. Do you know what? Didn't hate Dracula Untold. I didn't hate Van Helsing either. You know what? So why has this not worked? The reason. Well, is- Van Helsing. Van Helsing. They weren't trying. That was just a Hugh Jackman movie. That was just- Although I did like that one. Yeah, it was good. And it, that actually had Frankenstein's monster and Wolfman in it. Yes, it did as well. So like, but that that was. But they did actually try to launch something with Dracula Untold because they had the. Oh, they yeah, had yeah, the yeah. Here, They had the Here We Go thing at the yeah, end, yeah, at yeah. the end of the movie, it, which let like the games begin. Let like the games begin type thing at the and end the of the movie. And the games never began, did they? No, and it's it's such a shame because I was actually really excited for. Charles Dance because I love Charles Dance. Playing he's such Twister, a good. They could have played Monopoly. What other games could they? A Risk. Game of... Risk. Risk. That would have been great. Dracula Two. Mouse Trap. Mouse Trap. Mouse Trap. Oh goodness. There's a lot of layers in, Imagine in that. Imagine that. Just an hour and a half of just them all sit the cast just sitting playing this. Yeah. And this Mouse Trap. 
But what's happening, obviously, with The Invisible Man coming out is The Invisible Man is kind of... They very much not tried to connect it to anything else. I don't think they're trying to connect it to any sort of dark universe. I'll be amazed that... So, obviously, when we, we talked about that photo of all of the cast, yeah. the, the mummy came out and it had the logo, the dark universe, the kind of universal logo switch, yeah. and you saw the dark side of the universe. Almost, it's this dark yeah. universe. And then in the movie, you had, obviously, we said Jekyll and Hyde, and you had the... the, the the hand from the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. But it's that, do you think it was ever going to work? Because I yeah, think audiences they, see they right, still I could. think audiences don't see, I think there's a real patronising nature to that. Obviously the famous example was the MCU. It happened so organically, so naturally, they teased us and it just got in there and it was just nice and it was just slow. Well, because at first they only did it with post-credit sequences, uh-huh. which frankly not everyone would have seen and who cared about those before do you remember no one really cared about those before the mcu really started you know leaning on them quite heavily now not only do we care rapidly about post-credit sequences we're looking for them in movies that aren't even marvel movies exactly (laughs) exactly maybe there's something after the credits oh tease me just finish about i've heard the invisible man's a very very good movie i've heard it's a horror movie i've heard i've heard it's i've heard I've heard it's very observant. What, what I mean by that is they've not just made a cookie cutter movie. They've made an actual genre movie with a purpose. Yes. Like uh, where an artist, a director has come in with a vision for a, a story mm. and a tone and all of these things pre-decided mm. With a vision and gone ahead and done it with really good writing, really good acting, because apparently Elizabeth Moss is great. She is great. She's great in everything she does, actually. She is. I first saw her in The West Wing, which is an old 90s uh, TV show that I absolutely love. Oh, The West Wing, yeah. I absolutely love The West Wing. I liked her in Getting to the Greek. She was really good in that. I thought she was really funny in that one. Yeah, okay. So, so yeah, Elizabeth Moss is great, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I'm, I've heard it's a really good movie. I'm really yeah. excited to see this. Do you think they and will? More, more critically, actually, I reckon this is a horror movie that I will allow you to uh, take me to. Oh! That I, I will, I will say it because <laughs> usually this is a rule I don't break. I don't watch. Number one, I don't watch horror movies, and number two, and this is the important thing, I don't watch <laughs> horror movies with Callum ever. Tell him why. What I do? Because he's I... a prick. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> no, what do I do? What do I do? Because remember, I put my hands on you. No, no, he, he, yeah, he just, he just try, he just tries to like give me little like jumps and stuff. You know, you're on edge watching horror movies. You don't <laughs> yeah. want somebody like giving me a little mo- prod. Do you remember that movie where you deliberately sat on the other sofa because you didn't like it? I've done that a couple of times. I've done that a couple of times. It's not nice. <laughs> so to try and so to try and scare him. At one point, I just screamed as loud as I could, and you jumped. Do you remember I, no, that? No, I, I don't remember that. Do you remember that? we were no. sat? We were sat at my dad's old house. I can't remember what we were watching, and I just went, oh, I and remember. I just screamed. I just and you went bloody hell. You're not a nice person, <laughs> but it's funny. Okay, final question. Right. Do you think they will fold this into the dark universe? Is this the reignite of the dark universe, or will this just be another standalone uh, horror movie? I don't know. It's <laughs> okay. I don't know. I, I kind of want be a standalone. I think they're not going to try. I kind of want. This. I kind of want them to integrate it. You know, keep trying. But do you think? Do you think in Elizabeth Moss's script, let's say she's alive at the end of this, do you think in her contract for this they went, "Be prepared, there might be follow-ups to this." Maybe. I do you don't think know. they did? Yeah, maybe. Do you think they have to do that nowadays for a lot of these movies? Oh, probably. Really? Yeah. 
that gone are the days where you could just sign up for a movie, do the movie, and you're done. You're kind of like lobbied into these extra. What if it's a successful? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, we do have to blame Disney for this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they kind of they worked it out, haven't they? Yeah. Um, I reckon that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Any more updates? Anything you want to plug or anything that you're doing or that sort of stuff? Nah. Not really doing much. Nah. <laughs> You went to see a show recently, didn't you? I did. Well, last night, actually. At the uh, time of recording, I went to see uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, the French classical comedy. And it was starring James McAvoy, our oh, boy. Nice. He was great. Yeah. He was fantastic. What a great actor he you is. You recommend it, definitely. Well, last night's tonight, so... What? It, it, the the it was a limited run in last night's tonight. Oh, I thought you were just making a statement. Last night is tonight. I was like, that's no. very poetic. No, you're like, would you recommend it? I was like, well, yeah, I would recommend it, but you won't, you won't, <laughs> exactly. you won't see it. You won't see it. <laughs> so if you also saw it, if you, uh, if well you done. Saw, if you saw it, I recommended it to you, and um, <laughs> you enjoyed it. And and this comes out in about two weeks. This episode, exactly. <laughs> so it's exactly. utterly gone. Uh, what, a stu- what a stupid thing. I, right, like and subscribe. I Goodbye. recommend March. <laughs> My recommendation. March That's the podcast. Finish us off, Alex. What do we have to do? Right. So, (laughs) what do we have to do? (laughs) So, get your pens and papers. Get your notepads. So, (laughs) this is a shambles. This is a shambles. (laughs) Right. Fucking do it. Right. Look how long we've been. Give us a like and subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify Mm -hmm. if you wouldn't be so kind on uh, on Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, you'll do what? Uh, nothing. What were you absolutely do? nothing. You're going to go and break into their homes. I absolutely will not do co- that. Covered in paint. <laughs> On Apple Podcasts, you can give us a, you can rate us out of five stars. Five stars would be great. You can also leave us a little review. But if you don't want to do that, tell us your favorite soundtrack or tell us your favorite movie. We'd love to hear from you. We might mm-hmm. even read some out on the show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Spotify is not nearly as interesting as that, but listen and download because it helps us out it so, does help us out yeah and it makes us feel also good. recommend it to a friend that's a really good one yeah rec- word of mouth is really how these things get off the ground and we really really, really appreciate that guys uh, yeah tell a friend tell your na- your nan would love this your nan would love this yeah. she would I mean obviously the whole bit invisible don't tell her th- tell her to go out out, out out the room with the invisible man bit back in again with the like and subscribe bit absolutely nice yeah. Yeah, there yeah. you go uh, I guess that's the show nice I reckon so uh, what, do you know what you're doing next week no Nice. I know what I'm going to do next week because I've given you a film to watch. For oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got, got homework. homework. You've got homework <laughs> to watch. Excellent. Right. Goodbye, everyone. All right, guys. Ta ta. <laughs> <laughs>